I think the future of supply chain is one where it is highly digitalized, highly connected, and AI will lead to massive productivity needs. And I'm not saying that because I'm responsible for AI at SAP, well, hardly, but, <laughs> but I know for sure that this is the hottest topic right now in any industry all over the globe. And so if this is the power that it has right now and businesses are embarking on that journey, then over the years, not running your supply chain in some fashion in an automated way, where you're freeing up the capacity of people to do more value-added and innovative tasks, will be equivalent to today running your supply chain on paper-based processes. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name's Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined for this special episode by my spooky sidekick and co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a blogger, podcaster, and marketer in the supply chain space here at SAP. And today we have a special Halloween-themed episode where we'll be talking to SAP's Anusha about how to avoid Halloween supply chain nightmares. So welcome, Anu. Thank you so much for joining us today, and it's so great to have you on the series. If you could just take a moment to introduce yourself, give some insight into your past experiences and your role today here at SAP. Yeah. Very nice to be here with you, Nicole and Richard. So Anu Shan, based out of SAP's headquarters in Valro of all this innovation, along with some other locations, is coming to life. So I'm really excited to be here and talk to you about it. I am VP and I am the head of global solution management for SAP's AI offering for S4HANA Cloud, DSC, so digital supply chain, and our finance applications. So similar to what you cover, Richard, I am your counterpart for the AI strategy and the offering that we bring to market. It's great to have you on an episode. We've been trying to get you for a while, so it's great to have you on. So Halloween is just one of several seasonal events that can make demand spikes or drops and demand go crazy. And as a result, they have the potential to become a supply chain nightmare. So how do integrated processes spanning from, in this case, design to consume, help me make these seasonal events manageable? Yeah. You know, spikes in demand essentially mean that as a business, either you prepare for those spikes and you meet that demand or you forego that revenue. So it's an opportunity cost for a business not to attend to and to plan those fights and to foresee them in time. An integrated supply chain is better prepared for such spikes than one that is not integrated and connected and collaborative. An integrated supply chain as such is one where constituents can effectively collaborate to tackle these upcoming fights. For example, you can, as a business, formulate early recipes by really understanding, you know, what's the trend in the market going to be this year. You know, you may expect a spike at a given time of the month. It may be Halloween. It can be Christmas. It can be many other events that would lead to demand spike. And that means that you need to start preparing early, formulate early, and make sure that that information is in time transparent also to your manufacturing partners so that you can deliver the products in time. So you need to prepare early for that, that spike in logistics as well and ensure that no unpleasant surprises may work in production by ensuring your assets are up to date and maintained in the proper manner. 
We believe as SAP that highly digitalized supply chains can overcome the challenges and these unexpected spikes in a way that is much easier than those that are less digitalized or not at all digitalized. Because with a high degree of digitalization, you have greater transparency. You're more connected to your business partners and other functions within your company. And that helps you to really tackle unforeseen events. And now let me give you an example of a customer I spoke with recently. They produce milk and they basically collect milk from, you know, farmers all around in the country. Depending on the season, the time of the year, and even the region where, you know, these farmers are from, the consistency or the ingredients in the milk vary. And that may mean that it is more suited to make chocolate versus yogurt versus pure milk versus cheese. So, you know, having the full visibility or from your early stage of, you know, that key ingredient, you need to formulate a recipe for your product range to understanding what is the implication on the production side. Can I actually produce more yogurt than pure milk will help you to meet your demand better and ensure you steer your business in the right direction. What an interesting example, because just having that agility and being able to respond in real time, I mean, it shows that they can just differentiate their product line and their offering to their consumers, which is incredible. Of course, another integral aspect of holiday seasons, in this case, Halloween, is how we balance meeting customer demands, corporate profit margins, and sustainability mandates, for example. So what advice would you give supply chain practitioners about the role of supply chain in the company's sustainability initiatives? Yeah, I would say that supply chain are actually the biggest lever in a company's drive or mission to become more sustainable. I mean, sure, you can plant more tree on your office premises, but that is going to have very little impact compared to if you were to truly address it in your core processes and your mission critical processes as a business, which are very often your supply chain operations. So my advice would be two things. One, to start early. Regulatory pressure is rising everywhere in every field that relates to sustainability, whether it is transparency on carbon emissions, whether it is transparency over, you know, the use of plastics and the imposition of plastic taxes. This is coming more and more. We're seeing these kinds of regulations introduced across the board. So start early with thinking about your sustainability strategy in your core processes. For example, how to reduce the plastic packaging in which you package goods and deliver them to the market. Consumers, likewise, are equally aware and, you know, are becoming more and more conscious of sustainability implications. So that starting early is my first piece of advice. And my second piece of advice would be to start with sustainability mission, to start with that in your core R&D and engineering. Because again, it's great to address that in many other parts of your functions, and you absolutely should have a strategy for that in place. But if you had to prioritize and make a trade-off, I would say trade it off for starting it off in R&D and engineering. Because that's essentially you tackling the problem before it even occurs. It's like preventing a disease rather than treating it. So instead of tackling the problem in hindsight and saying, well, how is my packaging going to be recycled or how do I get this disposed easily? How do I guide consumers to disposing this properly? 
you could say, well, I'm actually just going to package my product in regenerative packaging material. So that's an example of how you can address that in R&D. And actually, many analysts and there are many data sources that have proven that the biggest sustainability impact can be attained if you address it in the initial stage of designing and defining your product. So that's a key piece to keep in mind. And the same goes for designing the product. It has a direct impact on your greenhouse gas emissions later on in other processes too. So that would be my second piece of advice to get started with that. And now I just want to close that off with informing everybody that you know, SAP has been in the business of sustainability-related software for over three decades. So we've built a lot of credibility in that market and we're actually recognized for our sustainability capabilities, for example, also in our PLM portfolio. So I would encourage everybody to think through that as you're embarking on a sustainability journey and you're looking at digital tools, make sure to think about, am I driving a pure sustainability objective? Or am I actually tying it into my core processes where an engineer can look at what is the impact of taking this engineering decision or this packaging design decision on my sustainability objective? That's a great example. I always say that sustainability starts with how you design it because all things start with how you design a product because it can take costs out later on. It can take emissions out later on. It can take waste out later on if you design things correctly. And another topic that's hot at the moment, along with sustainability, is this looming shadow of AI and its role in the business and how we can improve our business processes by leveraging AI and more recently, generative AI. So in your current role, you're responsible for AI across our solution portfolio. So what are some of the use cases for AI that we're seeing across the supply chain processes? I think we're living through a very interesting time we're witnessing almost like the emergence of the internet with Gen AI particularly. So I think I want to call out here generative AI as the technology that has caught everybody's eye. And now we're hearing more and more customers asking, I know AI can solve this business problem. Tell me how can I do it? And so it's a very interesting trend. And along with that, you know, SAP is investing a lot in generative AI, because we know that we can offer this in the context of the business. So AI for the business has to be built in a way that it respects, you know, the data privacy, adheres to the highest quality, highest standards of data protection and data security and data privacy, which is what we refer to as responsible. Then we have this notion of relevant and reliable AI, which reliable means it works. You can rely on it. And it is relevant because it is tailored to give you recommendations and responses and assist you as a business user, knowing the full background of your business. For example, knowing that you didn't deliver a service fully, this is why your customer is disputing an invoice. It's not because it's a malintention by the customer. So that's the type of business context that SAP provides with its AI capabilities. And we're investing on two fronts. On the one hand, we are looking at use cases. You know, you can cluster our use cases in two different buckets. One is these are use cases that help you to radically improve the way you interact with our software. For example, Jewel does exactly that, right? It, it helps you interact with the software as if you're talking to an assistant who understands what you're looking for and gives you a response. On the other hand, we're looking at use cases and investing in a roadmap, thinking about 
what could be the business impact? How can AI drive the, the highest business impact for you? So these are two different, you know, investment strategies and we're pursuing these. This is how we're lining up our euros in AI investments. And an in interesting example in the supply chain area would be two of them. One is, you know, using analytical AI. This is, you know, using vast amounts of data. This is not so much related to Gen AI. It is simply predicting the cost of a project. I mean, we all know that projects are rarely on cost, on your budget, in the scope that you wanted and on the timeline that you wanted. This is a major challenge. And so imagine that you could, you know, predict the costs of a project before you even embarked on that journey. And this is a big step forward for anybody who, who is looking to leverage AI. And that's a capability we offer. Another capability we're bringing out in 2024 is in the area of transportation management. And this is actually related to generative AI. So, you know, when you receive your goods in the warehouse, it may take you 10 minutes or so to process that set of documents to really identify what are the goods you've received. And, you know, you're making sure you're accounting for that information and tracking that properly. Now, generative AI can help you do that in an automated fashion. It can automate that goods receipt process by populating information, you know, auto-filling it out for you and making that process be much shorter. So we've done a pilot project with a customer and it has led to a 70% efficiency in that time. So you're cutting out 70% of that overhead you're spending on just tracking the goods that are coming into your warehouse. This is, a, again, another big step forward thanks to Gen AI. We'll make sure that we include, uh, you mentioned Joule and we, SAP recently announced those capabilities and we'll make sure that we include the press release about Joule in the show notes. And the more I listen to people talk about AI and Gen AI in particular, I think it's like the Swiss army knife of technology moving forward. It's got so many different tools that we can take advantage of and we just haven't worked out how to use all of them yet. It seems endless, the possibilities. Yes. All exciting though, which is great. And I think, you know, we're talking about sustainability initiatives and AI and Gen AI and really being able to have that integrated into your full business processes. But I think the beautiful thing that we can offer here at SAP is of course the backbone to really bring that all together, bring supply chain together, bring all of these incredible aspects. And of course that backbone being the ERP system. So in your opinion, how important is integrating that full end-to-end -end supply chain processes and applications into this backbone to really make ourselves agile and, you know, keeping up with all of these new futuristic things almost? So, you know, I want to pick up on that word you just said, backbone, right? It keeps us standing. So it's a very good analogy. And yet I think a lot of people don't understand the complexity of ERP cloud as Ohana cloud or this backbone. This backbone is also the backbone of the entire economy. If we look at our customers, the SAP customers, they're making the most complex products, you know, from cancer drugs to aeroplanes to what have you, you know, things that we rely on, that they work. And this stuff works because they're using consistently a set of digital solutions that they can rely on. And ERP is one of the most important pieces, if not the most important one, out of that because it helps them 
to develop that product, to engineer that product. And as we go about making changes in the product to ensure that information ends up in the right hands of manufacturing, ends up in the right hands of services, of finance, of HR, of procurement, and all functions of the business. It is therefore the most fundamental element of building a digital thread. And so the, the connection between applications and the ERP is such a fundamental one without which you cannot build a digital thread. You cannot run efficiently an enterprise that can withstand the forces of the economy, the forces of trade barriers or anything that can halt you in your production, that can halt you from servicing and selling to your customers. And a simple example of what it does is it can consume from a PLM system, whether that is ours or whether that is a third-party system. It can consume the engineering bill of materials. It can translate that into a manufacturing bomb. It can translate that into a service bomb. And it can help you to account for the finance implications at every step. For example, our project and portfolio management solution is closely tied to our S4HANA solution. And what that means is that as you go about executing your project, you can immediately do the finance implications, the finance entry, that the costing is done almost simultaneously. You know, that information is not sitting in a separate data silo. And a lot of this is only possible thanks to cloud technology. Because when you're in the cloud, you're much more agile because you're not taking a long time to adopt innovation such that by the time you fully adopted it, you're already some years behind on innovation that you missed out on implementing. So cloud brings you that innovation very quickly, whether that is on your ERP or it's on your other functional applications that are tied to the ERP. And I hope that really makes clear how impressive this connection is and how much we need to respect this integration and interoperability between the cloud ERP and applications. So we touched right at the start on the design to consume process. So let's delve into some of the different components of that. At, at Halloween, I go into the local pharmacy, the local retail store, and I see candies specifically packaged with witches and gremlins and other spooky decals unique for that holiday. And those things are on the stores, it seems the day after the last holiday, the next holiday is in that section of the aisle. So in the US, for example, after July the 4th, it seems like Halloween stuff is there. I can guarantee that after October the 31st, Thanksgiving stuff will be on the aisle. And then Christmas stuff will be on the aisle and it keeps going, Valentine's Day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we see all of this uniquely tailored content and products for that holiday. We see chocolates shaped like pumpkins and ghosts and gravestones. And we also see costumes based on what's hot at the moment. I'm betting there'll be lots of little boys and girls dressed up as Barbie and Ken, for example. It's Halloween. <laughs> and the R&D team needs visibility into what's hot, what will be interesting on packaging, as well as designing sustainable packaging. So what information do they need and how can they make sure that what they bring to market is relevant, timely and based on the latest trends? In my opinion, the R&D team needs to be extremely collaborative with the other constituents of we're going to be producing, we're going to be procuring, 
for instance, those materials. And those are just some examples of collaboration. So collaborate, connect, and contextualize. That's a mantra. And it starts out with staying up to date with the latest trends and innovation. It's very hard. It can sometimes be very hard to come up with great ideas. So that's where we are piloting another Gen AI capabilities in, in PLM. We are checking how Gen AI can give an R&D person, a researcher, a, a proposed set of recipes if they're not feeling that creative that day. So Gen AI will play a role there as well, but it, it's a good idea to stay on top of your, the latest trends. And then to start thinking about what will be the new flavors that will go into, let's say, making this new candy or new chocolate for Halloween. Sure, price packaging is another key factor that they need to do. So let's start with connect as well, right? I mentioned connect, collaborate, contextualize. They need to ensure that once they've developed a new recipe, they need to ensure that they've informed manufacturing about the changes in an existing recipe. For instance, if for Halloween, for whatever reason, you want to use vegan milk rather than the actual milk, that piece of information needs to reach manufacturing. Unfortunately, in some businesses that we've talked to, that information is still shared on paper or as a PDF file, which, you know, leads to a huge risk that that information just gets lost because somehow you find out this, I can't quite produce this with the current composition. I think I may want to uh, an alternate product or an alternate ingredient or change the ratio of those ingredients. And very quickly, you end up in a world of non-compliance. So while the initial recipe was compliant, you may now end up in the world of non-compliance. So there again, the connection and the collaboration come home and the ability to contextualize the decision to be able to check if I make this change, is this still compliant? That's all about contextualization. So I think, like I mentioned before, this integration, the interoperability of software that underlies these processes is a key piece that would again go into supporting a scenario such as what you mentioned. Absolutely. And, you know, Richard, you mentioned the shelves being stocked with fall decor and things like that right after 4th of July. Being a summer lover, that really, that really was like a, a knife in the heart there because I'm to the very last extent trying to extend summer as far as I can. So it is always so interesting to see the shift in what we're selling to consumers and how quickly we can turn around that demand and that inventory for consumers. And I think the challenges of calculation demand for a seasonal product, you know, like you said, we've seen skeletons, pumpkins and Halloween costumes lining our shelves for weeks now. And the planning to ensure that we have those right products available is, in reality, like you said, a four to six week period leading up to the actual day. In some cases, even in the United States, like we said, it's even more. It's almost months to the extent at this point. And this lead up is one of the many challenges that companies face several times a year around different holidays. So how do planners and manufacturing leaders keep up with what is hot and what is not leading up to the seasonal peak. That's really interesting as well, because it starts with actual demand, having visibility into what us three are thinking as consumers. And more importantly, my children, in my case, is they probably <laughs> spend a lot more of my money at Halloween than I do. So having that demand picture is critical for everything you do moving forward, because if you're planning with the wrong information, it's going to end up in bad results. You're either going to get, as I think Anu said a little earlier, excess inventory, 
that you're going to be selling off on November the 1st at a very discounted rate. The price of green chocolate will go down considerably on November the 1st because they want it for Halloween. They don't want it for Thanksgiving. But also, you can also end up with empty shelves or your products not being on the shelves and people will buy a similar product from your competitor. And getting that viewer demand means you need to access both structured and unstructured data. You need to get point of sales data about what's actually happening in real time at the stores. You want to get sentiment analysis from social media of what people are posting about, what's trending. And I was speaking to an executive from Walgreens last week, actually, for another podcast that we're going to be doing in a few weeks' time. And they were talking about their scam-based trading system. And Walgreens is a huge pharmacy in the U.S. They have over 8,000 stores in the U.S. And they have this scan-based trading in every store. And it's improving their billing processes and their demand visibility. And it creates a win-win for the retailer and the supplier who actually still owns the inventory on the shelf until it's paid for by the customer. Because they need to know what's selling, what's not selling, so that they can replenish their inventory. And then once that plan is defined, it's the ability to respond to changes. I mean, we're two weeks out from Halloween and demand surges can still happen right up to the last minute. And do we have the agility to respond to those changes? There's nothing worse than knowing you have a problem, but not being able to do anything about it. Having the agility to adjust manufacturing processes, to change your production plans, your production schedules in the very short horizons of today, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, and not say, well, it's already set in stone. I'm making this stuff whether we need it or not. That just doesn't work. It's just not a profitable way of doing business. So it's having the agility to change your plans in that very short planning horizon becomes the ultimate test for agility. Well, you know, one thing, like you said, knowing the problem and not being able to respond to it is one of the worst things. And I think as consumers, there's also nothing worse than when you turn up to your local store to get chocolates and candies and that one Halloween outfit you wanted to ensure you have the treats or the best costume at the party you're going to and finding bare shelves. You may be that last minute purchaser like I am. Usually, unfortunately, I don't even have a Halloween costume this year that I'm aware of, but I will probably be doing that last minute like many others. So, you know, what processes really are required to ensure there are no spooky surprises to derail logistics processes? It's funny, we do these podcasts and it seems like no matter what the question is, the answer is I need improved visibility. And when it comes to satisfying demand on the store shelves, you need real-time visibility. And in that Walgreens example, they work with suppliers like Walmart, the card manufacturer, and they need daily visibility of what's happening in each of those 8,000 stores, because they may be surging in a certain card in one store, but in a different region, a completely different one is picking up traction and they need to replenish different amounts at different stores. So having that daily visibility of what's being moved and what needs to be replenished is critical. And it's also having visibility of your logistics capabilities across the business network to ensure that you can ship and deliver on time. And that doesn't matter whether that's your own vehicles that are doing the delivery from your own distribution centers or whether you're leveraging third-party logistics providers. You have to know what capacity is available and how to access that capacity across the business network. Completely agree. Well, you mentioned the business network, and I think it has such a connection to supply chain as well. 
I think they work in such harmony. So what would you say is the role of the business network in keeping that seasonal supply chain running smoothly? Because as we know, a lot of things unfortunately can derail, but a lot of things can also help it move very quickly and very agile. So, you know, Nicole, I think that typically when we think of business network, we're often thinking about a procurement network. We're thinking about logistics and assets and such, right? Because that's typically where we're coming from. And we may be forgetting that sometimes networks are created because companies face resource scarcity. Let's take the example of, again, R&D and engineering. Many customers tell us how difficult it is to find the right talent to do the engineering for products that are used in immensely low subsea temperatures, facing a high degree of pressure underwater, etc. So it's hard to find those engineers. It's hard to find those people. And so a lot of businesses are thinking about outsourcing parts of their R&D and design process. And this is also data that is confirmed by Bain and Company. Bain and Company have informed that over the next three years, about 60% of businesses will be outsourcing parts of their design or R&D and engineering process. So what that means is that we need to now also think about networks and the ability to people collaborate to do a design or a product innovation process. So even there, the, the business benefit that a business network brings as it is that it helps you to be more agile and to deliver innovation rapidly because you don't have to count for the fact that you are facing resource scarcity and how do you find the right data scientists and the right engineers to drive innovation. And we as SAP have been thinking ahead on this matter of business networks for every business function. And also, I know that for in the function of PLM too, we also have those capabilities around superior collaboration on the design process that is enabled by our application. So that is really to help customers from going away of emailing each other, let's say PDF documents with a product design and be much more efficient and transparent and faster and agile about product innovation. Yeah, I think a collaboration is critical across all of the business processes because you mentioned suppliers is the obvious one, but collaborating in the R&D process with key suppliers is also important because you've got to make sure that you can get the materials that you've put in the design. There's no point designing something if you can't get the raw materials to manufacture it. Or the logistics providers, as I mentioned earlier, of having visibility so that there's no point saying, I'm going to make it with these products if you can't ship them to the manufacturing facility to actually make. And no, we're actually at the end of the podcast. So I wanted to ask you the one final question that we ask everybody. And that is, from your perspective, what is the future of supply chain? Yeah, I think the future of supply chain is one where it is highly digitalized, highly connected. And AI will lead to massive productivity needs. And I'm not saying that because I'm responsible for AI at SAP. Well, hardly. But, <laughs> but I know for sure that this is the hottest topic right now in any industry all over the globe. And so if this is the power that it has right now and businesses are embarking on that journey, then over the years, not running your supply chain in some fashion in an automated way where you're freeing up the capacity of people to do more 
value-added and innovative tasks will be equivalent to today running your supply chain on paper-based processes. So I'm really looking forward to the innovation that we're going to bring out to the market there and what our customers are able to achieve with Esfahana cloud capabilities tied with AI and those of our applications for supply chain and finance. Anu, thanks for a great conversation. I'm looking forward to continuing this in upcoming episodes as AI expands across the business processes in general. Likewise. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. Please mark us as a favorite. You can get regular updates and information about future episodes. Check the show notes and you can find more specific details about some of the things that we've discussed in this episode. But until next time, from Anu, Nicole and I, first of all, happy Halloween. And thank you for discussing the future of supply chain.